Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. We are on our final message in our series, Afterlife. If you missed any of them and you want to catch up on it, just go on our YouTube channel or uh, our Facebook page, and you can view any of our past messages there. But this is the last message in our series, Afterlife. And as I said, next week, we're beginning a new series on how to study your Bible. Tonight's message is titled, The Door to Eternity. The Door to Eternity. You know, in what appears to be a, a satirical article titled, World death rate holding steady at 100%. The author writes, the World Health Organization officially officials expressed disappointment Monday at the group's finding that despite the enormous effort of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals worldwide, the global death rate remains constant at 100%. You know why? Because everybody at some time is going to die if the rapture doesn't take place. So the world death rate is 100%. The scripture certainly supports that in Hebrews 9.27. It says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. With the exception of those who will be taken up to heaven in the rapture, which the Bible describes in 1 Thessalonians as a day when Jesus will descend. He will not come and touch ground, but he will descend in the clouds and he will catch his church away. And then after that, his judgment will be poured out on the earth in seven years, which is called the tribulation period. And then after that, um, we know that there'll be a great white throne judgment and the establishment of a new heavens and new earth and uh, uh, some other uh, prophetic events that will take place in there. But barring the rapture, except for the rapture, every other human being will keep their appointment with death. Everyone who has ever lived at any time during history has kept their appointment with death. And we will keep our appointment as well at God's established time if the rapture does not take place. As Christians... Of course, we take great comfort in the hope of heaven, knowing that when this life is ended, that we will go to be with the Lord in a place of eternal reward and everlasting joy. But like the old country song says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And there's a lot of truth to that, amen? And uh, we've been talking about the afterlife, and we have looked at what awaits sinners after death, a, a terrible and eternal place of torment, as Jesus described and other passages described. And we've also looked at the glorious future that has been promised to believers, but we have not spoken much about the doorway to eternity, which is death. What I want to talk about tonight, first of all, is that our appointment with death, can be rescheduled, but it cannot be canceled. It can be rescheduled, but it cannot be canceled. Death is certain. Benjamin Franklin said there are only two things that are certain in life. You know the answer. What are they? Death and taxes, and it's tax season right now, amen? <laughs> but those are the two things you can be guaranteed of, death and taxes. Unless we're raptured, we will all die. And how we live our life now determines how we will face 
God at judgment because we will all stand before God in judgment. All unbelievers will stand before him at the great white throne judgment that is described in Revelation 20, and they will be condemned to live for eternity in torment separated from God. As Christians, the Bible says that we also will stand before God in judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're already in heaven because of grace. All right, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So at the time of the judgment seat of Christ, we're already in heaven. Our eternal destiny is not up for question. We were saved by grace through Christ. But the Bible does say that we will give account for our lives. And at that time, our eternal reward will be determined. So we will all one day face judgment. So for believers, we don't have to fear death any longer because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that we may not still somewhat be apprehensive about death, but we don't need to fear death. We are a little apprehensive because we don't know what we'll go through in the process of dying. But uh, we don't have to be afraid because we know what happens after death. But believers and unbelievers alike will die. But what happens before our death sets us, sets us apart after our death and determines how we face death and the judgment that follows. I have seen Christians at great peace as they've passed from this life to the next. And I've seen those who do not know God in great anguish. I've shared the story before, but there was a lady in a um, convalescent center um, that one of our, our nurses um, called me and said, Pastor Maria, can you come and see this lady because uh, something torments her, especially at night, and she was screaming at night, uh, a blood-curdling scream that not only scared the other patients, but it also scared the staff. And they said, you know, usually two, three o'clock in the morning, she lets out these terrible screams and uh, she said, I just feel like it's something spiritual. So, you know, I did go uh, to the convalescent center and her daughter was sitting with her and I introduced myself and asked if I could speak to her mother and she gave me permission to do so. Um, the woman could not speak at that point, she, but she could respond just by blinking her eyes. And so I shared Jesus with her and, and I talked to her about being ready uh, to meet God and that she could know that her sins are forgiven uh, if she repented of her sins and placed her faith in Christ and I asked her if she wanted to do that and she could blink her eyes twice and she did and I said I know you can't say this prayer out loud but if you say it in your heart God is going to hear you and I led her uh, that day in uh, what we call the sinner's prayer a prayer of faith and repentance in Christ and uh, she gave her heart to Christ and um that night, the nurse called me the next day, and she said last night was the first night that she, the woman was at peace and slept all the way through the night until coming on to morning, she slipped into eternity. Her, something was tormenting her soul. Guilt of her sin 
not being ready to meet the Lord. Something was tormenting her soul. And, and once she repented and placed her faith in Christ, then she was at peace. A few d- days later, her daughter called me and um, the family, they were Jewish, and I wasn't, was not aware of that, but the daughter called me and said, you know, I, I'm such and such's daughter. And, and she said, you know, we're Jewish. And she said, I appreciate you coming to, to see my mother. And she said, I don't know what you did to my mother that day. She said, but after you left, she was a completely different person. She was at such peace once you left. And of course, then I started talking to her about Jesus and telling her, you know, uh, uh, how her mother found peace. And and then I asked her if she would like to pray and accept Christ. And she was like, no, no, I'm not quite ready to do that. But I'm grateful that you prayed with my mother and what have you. But, But I just say that to say this, that there's a big difference between the way that a believer faces death. You know, my, my mother, as many of you know, last year was in hospice and uh, transitioned and went to be the Lord with the Lord in September. But my mother was asking me to pray, you know, pray that Jesus would take me. I want to go to be with Jesus, you know, and my mother was at great peace uh, throughout that whole process. So um, placing our faith in Christ and living for God here on earth uh, differentiates us when we face death. As Christians, we face death differently than those who do not know Christ. So death is certain, but we also need to know that death can be hastened. Death can be hastened. The Bible does appear to suggest that the length of life that will be enjoyed by those who live in obedience to God and that the life of the foolish or rebellious will be shortened. So when we obey God and we live righteously, our life can be lengthened. If we live in rebellion to God, the Bible says our days can be shortened. So the scripture seems to indicate that we can either hasten or postpone death. Proverbs 1, 17 and 18 says, If a bird sees a trap being set, it knows to stay away. But these people set an ambush for themselves. They're trying to get themselves killed. And he's talking about the foolish. He's talking about those uh, that are rebellious against God. And and they're walking right into uh, a a place of of danger, into a place uh, that will shorten their life. So there are things that we can do that can accelerate the time of our death or shorten our lives. Some of those things are very obvious. Smoking, drinking, doing drugs, unhealthy eating, hallelujah, amen. Lack of exercise, (coughs) amen, oh me. Uh, Reckless decisions. These are just simple everyday things that we do that can actually hasten death. It can accelerate death. It can shorten our life. There are other things. Certainly suicide can shorten our life or assisted suicide can hasten death. And people sometimes choose to end their life because they feel that their present situation or the pain of their suffering is unbearable and they can't tolerate it any longer. But they fail to realize that death is not an end, but it's merely a doorway. And that if you take your own life, your last act in this life will be murder, your own which is a sin, and it will lead to an eternal existence that is far more intolerable than anything that you could ever experience on this earth. You say, well, what if the person was a Christian? Christians do at times 
take their lives. In recent years, we have seen several prominent pastors who were suffering from depression who chose to end their own life. So what happens to them? Will they go to hell or will they go to heaven? Now, this is not a sermon on suicide, but this is an important question. We don't know what happened in the final moments of a person's life when they choose to commit suicide. We don't know if their final seconds, they'll have an opportunity to repent or not. But we do know that suicide is sin. Most people who have attempted suicide and survive have expressed regret at trying to end their lives. Some of them, as soon as they did the act of trying to commit suicide, reached out for help because they regretted it the moment they did it. So it's possible in those last seconds that a person could repent and God's grace is so great that he would forgive them and receive them unto himself. So I don't want to make any judgment calls and we just have to trust that into God's hands. But for the Christian, regardless of what we are going through, suicide is never the answer. As a Christian, whatever trial or suffering we face, God has promised that he will give us grace sufficient to face that problem. And he will always make a way of escape when we're in the midst of trouble. So there's always an alternative to enable us to cope with the difficulties of life. We need to trust God. We need to reach out to godly people. We may need to seek professional help from a Christian counselor, but there is always a way of help, a way of escape. God, God says he will always provide that way of escape for us. As Erwin Lutzer states, we should welcome death from the hand of God, but we should not force the hand that brings it. So when it comes, and it's God's will, but we should not provoke that. All right. So there are things we can do to hasten our death, but there's certain things that we can also do to postpone, postpone our death. So death can be postponed. For instance, in the Old Testament, King Hezekiah was sick and he was near death. And the Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah with a message. And the message from the Lord was this. Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And so the scripture says the Lord answered Hezekiah's praying saying, I will add to your days 15 years. So one of the things that we can do to postpone death, so to speak, is we can pray. Amen? We can pray for health. We can pray for healing. And of course, you know, he says, remember how I have walked before you in truth uh, to, to ensure our prayers are heard and answered. We need to be living a life of righteousness. But certainly we can pray. I know prayer works because uh, seven years ago I received a virtual death sentence with a stage three cancer diagnosis. And I was told that it was a very rare cancer that did not respond well to treatment. But I prayed and I know the church prayed and I had people praying all over the, uh, the place. And I know that God heard and that God healed me. Amen. And the devil might have tried to kill me, but God healed me and I'm still here. So I know that prayer works and prayer can extend our life. But along with prayer, there's other things we can do. We can eat healthy. Amen. Seven years ago, I believe the Lord led me to a book called Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Living. 
and I won't get into the details of it, but it was a medical researcher who himself was diagnosed with cancer, and they told him there was nothing they could do for him, and he started using his medical research skills to look into the connection between diet and cancer, and out of that he wrote this book, and he continued to live, even they, they gave him months to live, he continued to live, I think some 15 years later. But anyhow, um, one of the things that he talked about was the connection between animal products and cancer. Uh, the moment I read that book, I decided I'm going vegan. I'm not eating anything from an animal anymore, amen? So most of my diet is vegetables, it's uh, fruit, it's beans, amen? I don't eat anything animal. So there's certain things that we can do to cooperate with the healing of God in our life, amen? I, I also started exercising five days a week because I didn't know, but cancer does not like oxygenated tissue, amen? And so when we exercise, we oxygenate the cells in our body and cancer doesn't like that environment, amen? So there's things we can do to cooperate uh, with the healing of God and, and and extend our life. We can also refrain from reckless behaviors. Uh, uh, so uh, if you're drinking, you stop drinking. You're smoking, you stop smoking. You're partying, you stop partying. Those are things that we can do in a practical way that can extend our life. Our appointment of, for death can be rescheduled, but it cannot be canceled. What we need to take away is that life is short, it will come to an end, and we need to live it faithfully and fully for the Lord each day so that we will be ready whenever our day comes. Amen? That needs to be our takeaway. Life is short, and we need to live every day fully for the Lord so that we will be ready when he comes. Now, a second principle, trusting that God is perfect in all of his ways, including the manner and timing of his death. So trusting that God is perfect in all his ways includes the manner and timing of our death. What that means is we need to surrender all the if-onlys to God. At funerals, I often hear conversations along these lines. Oh, if only he had gone to the doctor sooner. If only they had caught the cancer earlier. If only he had not taken I-95 that morning, he would not have met that accident. If only I had convinced my wife, uh, had not convinced my wife to go on that vacation, she would not have drowned. If only they had not done that surgery, or, or if only they had done that surgery. You know, there are all these if onlys. Even Mary and Martha expressed an if only at the death of their brother. Remember when Jesus came, they said, if only you had been here. If only you had come earlier, my brother would not be dead. There are so many if-onlys that can plague us. There are so many things beyond our control that we can drive ourselves crazy with if-onlys. Just recently, a family member of someone I know went through a major life-saving surgery, and they were doing great, and the doctor sent them home. Everybody was rejoicing. A few days later, they had to take the person back to the hospital because even though the surgery went great, they got an infection apparently while they were in the hospital. And the individual tragically ended up dying from the infection rather than from the original condition from which the surgery had saved them. There's so many things that are out of our control. There's so many things that we cannot foresee, we cannot predict, we cannot avoid. A few months ago, I saw on the news a young couple that was crossing a major street, I believe it was in Miami, with a stroller. And an SUV, whose driver was intoxicated and driving way too fast, ran the red light 
and was heading straight towards this couple and would have almost certainly hit and killed the entire family. If it had not been for the fact that a car crossing the intersection on the green light at the exact same moment that the SUV was running the red light, collided with the SUV, moving it out of the way and stopping it from running over and killing the family. It all happened in a matter of seconds. And the family was oblivious. They didn't see the speeding car running the green light, running the red light. They didn't see the other car coming across. They were just walking as a family. And they didn't realize how close they had come to death because it took place in a matter of seconds. But what we call an accident, the car going through the green, colliding with the car running the red, we call it an accident. And it saved that family's life. In a situation like that, we could identify a dozen if-onlys. If only that driver had not gotten drunk. If only he had not gotten behind the wheel. If only the family had not decided to walk down that busy street. If only the car that knocked the SUV out of the way had left home a minute later or a minute earlier. They would not have collided with that SUV and saved that family's life. In our mind, all of these if-onlys could have drastically changed the outcome of that day. Many factors converged for this incredible life-saving accident to occur. One author said, we have the word accident in our vocabulary, but God does not. Listen to that. We have the word accident in our vocabulary, but God does not. We don't like to think about it, but the fact is everybody is going to die of something at their appointed time. An accident, cancer, heart attack, an infection, a violent crime, war, old age, your body just wears out. Everybody's going to die of something. At, so I hate to burst anybody's balloon, but it's the reality. It's the reality. But you know what? The Bible says that God holds the power of life and death. We know that God is the author and the sustainer of life. Paul expresses this clearly in Acts 17, verses 25 and 28. It says, he himself, speaking of God, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. And in verse 28, he says, for in him we live and move and exist. We, we commonly accept the fact that God is the giver of life, but what a surprise to us to hear that God also has the power over death. But in 1 Samuel 2, 6, it says, the Lord gives both death and life. Now remember, death was never God's original intention for mankind, right? Death was the curse of sin. So death was never a part of God's plan or God's will for mankind. It was the result of man's rebelliousness, the result of man's sin, and it is the curse of sin. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that death is an enemy of God, but that Jesus Christ has conquered this enemy, and eventually death and the grave will be thrown into the lake of fire. So Jesus has conquered 
the enemy of death on our behalf. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says that Jesus died to break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So the devil's power over mankind is through sin, and sin results in death. And once a person dies in their sin, it's a victory for the devil, so to speak, because they are cut off from God and confined to hell with the devil and his demons for all eternity. So the devil gets a win if someone dies in their sin. But because Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead, the Bible says that he had has conquered death hell and the grave so for the believer we don't need to fear death because when we repent of our sins and place our faith in Christ we are forgiven our sins are cleansed we receive eternal life and we have the promise of living in God's presence for all eternity and the promise of the resurrection so even though the devil is described as having the power of death God ultimately has the last word. In Job 2, you might remember that Satan appealed to God to let him take away Job's health. And if he touched Job's health, he said, Job will curse you. And God gave Satan permission, but he said, only spare his life. That means Satan, because by our sin, we have given Satan rule, that um, Satan has the power to kill, but God set limits. The implication is Satan has the power to take a life, but God has the final word. God is the ultimate authority. That means that though Satan might be the instrument of death, God is in control of the time and the manner of our death, and God will not permit Satan to take us before our appointed time. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know, when someone dies, we often hear people say, Oh, he was so young, or, or he had so many years ahead of him. The truth is that God will only permit a person's death when their time has come to an end and their purpose in this life is fulfilled. One writer states, from God's perspective, neither the day nor manner in which a person's life ends is in doubt. But the when and how we leave this life are already recorded in God's library. The day that every person leaves this earth was written down, determined, set, recorded before it ever takes place. Just because a person's death was a surprise to us does not mean that it is a surprise to God. Now it's difficult for us to wrap our head around that because there's so many moving pieces, right, in regard to death. There's a person's decisions, their personal choices, their lifestyle, the actions and decisions of others that can impact somebody and can take their life. There's the activity of the devil and there's God's will and purpose and all of these are involved when someone's life comes to an end. And in the end, as difficult as it is for our heart to grasp, especially when we have lost our loved one, is to trust that God knows best, that he is perfect in all of his ways, and that he has every day of our life written in his book. Does that mean that God dictates our every movement and our every choice? No. 
the Bible is clear that we have free will and that we can hasten or postpone the day of our death. But God, who is all-knowing, knows everything in advance. And so every choice and decision we make, God knows. He knows his purpose and his will for our lives. He knows all that happens around us. He knows the decisions and choices of others that will impact our life. And all of that is accounted for when God wrote our days in his book, even before we were ever born. Now, we have to trust that God is loving and merciful and that he is the only wise God and that he's perfect in all of his ways. And we have to understand that just because God has our days written in his book does not mean that he caused our death to happen or he caused us to make wrong decisions or he caused somebody else to make wrong decisions. Knowing something in advance does not mean you cause it to happen. I know the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning, but I'm not getting out in the sky and pushing it up into the sky. But I know it's going to happen. So God knows all things in advance, and that's why he can write our days in his book. So we have to trust that God is all wise, he's all knowing, that he is uh, loving, that he is merciful, and that he's perfect in all of his ways. So that, that like Jesus, when his time came, we can say, Father, I have fulfilled the work that you have given me to do. I have glorified your name. And then as he hung on the cross, he says, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Now, does that mean that we will always understand his ways? No, not this side of eternity. I don't understand why my brother died at 17 years old. But I do know that in God's love and mercy, he sent a Pentecostal minister to the hospital to lead my brother to Christ. We didn't know what it really meant to be saved. We were raised Catholic and usually only went to church for funerals and, and weddings and christenings. We didn't know what it meant to be saved. But God in his grace and mercy sent a Pentecostal preacher to the hospital that talked about Jesus in a way that we had never heard before. And my brother, laying on his deathbed, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And I can still picture the last day that he was here on earth. We all gathered around his bed. And with a big smile, he looked around at all of us. And he began to whisper something. And my mother leaned in and said, what is that, honey? What are you saying? And he said, they're coming to get me. And she said, who? And he said, men in white, with the biggest smile, men in white robes, they're coming to get me and take me to Jesus. So I know my brother is in the presence of the Lord. I also know that it is through my brother's passing that a Pentecostal friend of the family who had sent that minister to the hospital started visiting our home for over a year. She came every week and sat for hours with my parents because they were in such a deep place of grief, that she would just come and spend time with them and encourage them and talk to them about Jesus. Now, when my brother passed, I was 11 years old, so I didn't, I didn't even want to be in the house. It was just such a, 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 a morbid and dark place with my parents being in such deep grief. I would come home from school, change my clothes, and go hang out in the neighborhood with other kids. But when I saw her car, this lady's car, in front of our home, I would run home and I would sit on the steps 
that led the top of the steps that led down into our den. And I would listen to her talking to my parents about Jesus. She didn't know she was talking to me. She started coming to our home in January when my brother passed. And by November over Thanksgiving weekend of that year, based on what I'd heard her say, I asked Jesus into my heart and I was saved. A little over a month later, in her home, I was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues and I was called to the ministry. And it was through her planting that seed that later on my parents would also give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So do I understand why my brother had to die at 17? No. But what I do see is the heart of a loving and gracious God who took what was a terrible tragedy and he turned it around and he brought good out of it. And it is because of that experience that I stand here today preaching the gospel in this church. So God is perfect in all of his ways. I don't know if my brother had been healed, if he would have continued to serve the Lord or fallen away. I don't know. But God knows all things. And God is perfect in all of his ways. And I know that in God's grace and God's mercy, through my brother's death, not only was my brother saved, but through my brother's death, my family was introduced to Christ. And I got saved and my parents got saved and I'm praying that my sister will come back to Christ. So what I'm saying is trusting God doesn't mean that we'll always understand because one of the hardest things is to lose somebody that you love. And this side of eternity, I don't think that we'll ever really understand why. Trusting God doesn't mean that we won't grieve when we lose someone we love because we miss them. We sorrow over our loss, and there's an ache inside for the emptiness of not having them here with us. And sometimes in our grief, we might even get angry at God and cry out, why? Why, Lord? And you know what? That's okay. His shoulders are big enough to bear our anger and our grief. But in the end, our faith, should always lead our heart back to a place of trust. A place of saying, God, I don't understand. But I know that you are the only wise God. I know that you are loving, that you are gracious, and that you are perfect in all of your ways. And so I trust you, God. I trust you, God. And so tonight, let us just ask the Lord to help us to trust that he is perfect in all of his ways. Not just when we're facing death or facing the death of a loved one, but any trial or difficulty we go through, that we would be able to trust that he knows what he's doing and he is perfect in all of his ways. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before your presence right now and we just thank you, Lord, for your great patience and love towards us. Father, there are many times in our life where we question why and where it is difficult for us to understand and accept what happens to us in the trials and hardships of life. 
and especially in the loss of a loved one. But Father, we pray tonight that you would help our heart to always turn to you in faith and trust, knowing, Lord God, that you are loving in all of your ways, that you are gracious and merciful to us, that you are too good to ever be unkind, Lord God, and that you are all-knowing, and you are the only wise God, and that you are perfect in all of your ways. Help us to trust ourselves completely to you in this life, even at the end of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you on Sunday. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.